please turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, which is the focus of the message this morning. I'm going to read a different translation. I'm going to read a more literal translation of the original. Not that the translation read before was wrong. It's just that uh, there's English idiom and there's Greek idiom. And the Greek idiom, or the Greek, the Greek words here are just very... Uh, well, what's the right word? Abrupt? They're not put together like you would write English. Maybe that's because it's not English. Therefore, if any comfort in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any compassion and mercies, make full my joy that you would think the same thing, having the same love, soul-mated, thinking the one thing, nothing with selfishness or with conceit, but with humble-mindedness, considering another more valuable than yourselves, each paying attention not to their own things, but everyone to the things of others also. Think this in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Well, let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, thank you for the story of Jesus that Paul tells in this text. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blessing of sending him here. And thank you for the inheritance and legacy that he has left for us. And we pray, dear Father, as we consider that inheritance, as we consider that legacy, that the Holy Spirit would come and bless us this morning, that he would shine upon us, and you would give him to us, and that your people would appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that those who are not saved would want to experience these things for themselves. And they would get saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our focus this morning in verses 1 to 5 is on what I've called the legacy of the story of Jesus. That is the inheritance that he has left behind. And this text that Paul has written, this passage, focuses on that legacy. And the central idea, what it is about, the exhortation that's at the heart of it, is found in verse 2. Now, some of the English translations, they, they catch it. Can you catch? Do you understand? Can you read? What is the central idea? What is the main assertion that's found there? There's an exhortation or an imperative in the text. Can you see what it is? Can you read what it is? What's the main idea 
of that text. What is it? What is he exhorting them to do? You're allowed to answer if you see it. But all right, but what is exactly the do you see what is the imperative that's there in verse two? There's an imperative. He's what is it? That all right, let me just read it to you and then you'll see it. Uh, yeah, it's not that the what? That's exactly right. See, it's not intuitive. So what's Paul saying? Make me feel good. There's your duty. Make me feel good. Now you say, wait a minute. That's not what it can't be what it says. Yeah, that's what it says. That's right. That's not intuitive. Yeah, it's about unity and it's about the inheritance that Christ has given us. But the, the main idea of this text, the fundamental imperative is Paul telling these people, make my joy complete. Make me feel good. And you say, I could just imagine how that text could be abused by pastors. You imagine that? Hey, it's all about me. You know what this church is about? Make me feel good. Are you making me feel Okay. You're in the wrong church. Exactly right. Yes, you're getting the point. Very good. Don't preach that in New York. You get it right back. It's good I got a screen. Right? Make me feel good. What, are you kidding me? Make, make you feel good? That's what church is about? And this is what he's telling them. Make my joy complete. That's the imperative. That's the duty. He's telling them the way you behave impacts the way I feel. That sounds like classic abuser language, right? Your behavior makes me nuts. What? Your feelings are your own responsibility, pal. <laughs> Don't go blaming me for what you're doing. But he's saying that, now I'll get to the, the way, this is not evil, Paul's not sinning, okay? I'm telling you, this could be grievously abused. He's telling them the way that they behave impacts the way he feels. Now, what's the point? He's saying to them, his heart, his emotional life is inextricably bound up with that church. That's what he's saying. His heart was there. And what goes on there influences how he feels. He says, fill up my joy tank. Fill up my joy tank. Now, why is he saying anything like this? Because he had a long-standing, special relationship with this particular church. And if you, I, I could take you through the study to prove it to you. But look what he says to them in verse, and just and look at chapter one, just briefly. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He's not trying to abuse them and manipulate them. He's filled with gratitude, a special gratitude that grows out of a special relationship with these people. He says, every time I pray, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 3, I always in every supplication of mine on behalf of you with joy. 
for your fellowship in furtherance of the gospel from the first day till now. I've had a long-standing, happy, wonderful, blessed relationship with you people. It's been a great blessing to me. And I know, brothers and sisters, even as you in chapter 2, have always obeyed. Not only when I was with you, but now how much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've always been an obedient group of people. You've always walked in gospel compliance with the word of God. I have nothing but happy remembrance of this church. I have a long-standing relationship of blessing with this church. And he even goes on to say in chapter 4, verse, verse uh, 15 and following, he says, and you know, you, you know, you Philippians, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church had fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my need. Not that I'm looking for the money, he says, but he remembers the fact that there was a time when they were the only church that was supporting him. They had regularly shown him benevolence, supported him, stood behind him. There was a special, unique relationship that he had with that church. It was of long standing, and his heart was bound up with them through long-time experience. From the time he went to Philippi and the Philippian jailer and Lydia, and those people got saved. It was a Roman colony. He was a Roman citizen. He had a special, unique connection of love and affection of long standing with that church. So this is not pastoral abuse. and This is not a guy saying, it's all about me. Make me happy. That's not where it's coming from. It's coming from a long-standing relationship over many years of fellowship and support with that group of people. Well, does that mean then that this has no application to us at all? Oh, no, no. It has application. It has a lot of application to us. It, it, very applicable to us. Okay, here's the point. They actually cared about him, and they cared about pleasing him and being a source of joy and gratitude to him. And this is his exhortation. Make full my joy. And I get this little phrase I'm about to use from John Newton. He exhorts them to be a quote from Newton, heart-cheering church. A heart-cheering church, John Newton says. This heart-cheering promise the Lord will provide. If you have that promise, it makes your heart glad. And even though the exhortation is explicitly, make my heart glad, the point is he's telling them to do things that would make glad the heart of everybody who comes within the orbit of that church and under its influence and through its doors. He's exhorting them to be a heart-cheering church that blesses those who come into their fellowship and that makes his joy complete. Now, this is the legacy 
This is the inheritance that Christ has given to his people. Not the whole, but the down payment of that inheritance that he's given to his people that they experience and enjoy right here and now on earth. That they are a heart-cheering group of people. Now, that brings me then to what he says about this exhortation to be a heart-cheering church. A church that would make his heart glad if he came in. That's what he wants. That's the exhortation. That's the point. Being a heart-cheering church is the legacy that Christ has left to his people on earth. That's their inheritance. Now, notice the first thing that he says. The first thing that he says, he starts in the first verse. And he says, therefore, if, 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 if any comfort, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship, if any compassion. He's calling upon them to realize and to appreciate the blessing that Christ has lavished upon his people as the down payment of their inheritance that they experience now on earth. Then the second thing that he does, look at verse 2. He says, make full my joy. Fill my joy tank. Then he uses a somewhat remarkable expression and translated in different ways. That you would, and then he talks about three graces that they should cultivate if they're going to be a heart-cheering church and enhance and increase the experience of the legacy that Christ has left them. He says, cultivate the grace of unity. Cultivate the grace of humility. Cultivate the grace of sensitivity. Because as those who are in the church become more sensitive and more humble and more unified, those who come into the church experience greater joy and gladness. A heart-cheering church is a unified church and a humble church and a sensitive church. So cultivate unity and humility and sensitivity so that you would increase your experience of the joy and blessedness of the legacy of being a heart-cheering place that Christ has given to us. Make sense? And now look how he ends. It sends now, and this is the second little imperative in the, in the, in the section. If you want to cultivate grace, if you want to cultivate humility, sensitivity, and unity, so that you become a church that makes people glad when they come into it, what do you do? Look at Jesus. Have this mind in you. Imitate his life. Imitate his humility. 
Imitate his sensitivity. Imitate his compassion and mercy. Imitate his love. Imitate the Lord. Be like him. That's how you cultivate, put on Christ. That's how you cultivate humility, sensitivity, and unity so that you would increase the blessedness of being a place that is a heart-cheering church. That's what the text basically says. You follow that? All right. So that has application to us, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think that's relevant to us? Is that only relevant to just uh, one particular pastor in one particular church with whom he, or an apostle in a particular church with whom he had a special relationship over many years? No. It's not exclusively relevant to that situation. But in general, it pertains to all of us. Christ's legacy is a great legacy. His inheritance that he leaves to his people is a great inheritance. It's not only an inheritance in this life, but it's inheritance in heaven, reserved in heaven for you. And an inheritance at the second coming in the new heavens and earth. Come ye blessed, inherit, he said, the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. But already in Christ, we have received the down payment of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit that was given to us. If anyone is a true Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in his heart or her heart because if any person does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if any church is a true church, that church has the Holy Spirit of God. Don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit that you have from God? You as a church are a temple. You as a Christian are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that presence of God by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, that's the down payment of our inheritance. And so look how he describes that reality, the blessedness. Appreciate the blessing. Receive the blessing. Realize the blessing of Christ's legacy on earth. Therefore, if any comfort, if any consolation, if any fellowship, if any compassion. Now, he repeats this word if. He doesn't say, there is fellowship. He said, if there's any, if there's any, if there's any, if there's any. He's talking about the realm of possibilities, the realm of potential. He's talking about vision for the future. He's talking about making those possibilities realities. He's talking about the fact that every genuine church has the Holy Spirit and every genuine Christian has the Holy Spirit so that these things are not just possible. These things are real. These things are genuine. So why would he use if? Because he wants us, my understanding of it, the reason he says if, 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 is to make us think. To make us think, well, is there any consolation? Is there any love? 
Is there any Holy Spirit fellowship? Is there any compassion? Is there any such thing experienced on earth by God's people? If, 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 if there is. Is there? Yes or no? Yes, there is. Of course there is. There always is. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's comfort because he's the comforter. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's love because he produces that love in our hearts. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's compassion and mercy. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's fellowship in the Holy Spirit. If there is any. The point is, dear people, I want you to realize it. I want you to realize that and, and, and bring, recognize and experience. I use the word realize because it means recognize something, realize it, and experience it. Make it real. Realize that this is the legacy of Christ, the Holy Spirit and fellowship in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, Paul said otherwise in Romans chapter 14, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's not something that we have to wait for. That's not something that only comes after death. He's not saying that, you know, there's no comfort on earth and there's no love and consolation on earth and there's no mercy on earth and no fellowship. That's not his point. He's saying that these great realities are here right now and it is possible for us to know them and experience them and enjoy the blessedness of this legacy that Jesus has given to us right here and now. Right now. It is possible to experience these blessings, to enjoy them, to realize them. Realize the blessedness, appreciate the blessedness of his legacy. Comfort in Christ. A group of people in which there is a supportive and encouraging environment when we suffer affliction and loss and pain and illness and persecution. We don't go through it alone. But there is the comfort and support of the Holy Spirit and of the and of the, 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 the people of God, that we would learn to comfort each other in all our afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's consolation of love as a spiritual family. God's people genuinely and truly care about each other as an accepting and caring group of people. Consolation that grows out of goodwill and kindness and condolence and weeping with those who weep. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. A group of people filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs deferring to one another. Rejoicing in Christ together, sharing openly their hearts in Christ, 
with an ungrieved Holy Spirit. Compassions and mercies. A merciful, kind, empathetic group of people that shows sympathy and support and supplies need and benevolence that is kind and generous that forgives one another's sins and forbears with each other and looks out for each other. This is the inheritance. This is the legacy that Jesus Christ, by giving us the Holy Spirit as Christians and as churches, this is the inheritance that he has lavished upon us in this life. This is what a heart-cheering church is like. People are glad to go to a church like that. They want to go to a church like that. They come into a church like that and experience these things. Appreciate this is the legacy of Jesus. This is the inheritance he's given us now in this life. Appreciate it. Realize it. Receive it. If there is any comfort, you bet your life there is. If there is any consolation of love, you bet your life there is. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, you bet your life. If there's any compassions and mercies, yes, sir, there most certainly is. Where is it? Where are those realities? They are experienced in a heart-cheering church. Right? So, the... The legacy is not, hey, we come to church, we hear the gospel preached, we leave, we never talk to each other, we don't love each other, we don't care about each other, it's just a preaching station, we don't know anything about each other, we don't take any interest in others' lives, just come here, get up, go. That's it. That's not a heart cheer in church. That's not, that's not the legacy of Christ. That's not what the Holy Spirit produces. It doesn't produce a, a bare preaching station. He produces a loving, genuine, caring, spiritual family filled with the Holy Spirit as a group and as individuals that genuinely console each other and comfort each other and look out for each other and support each other and love each other through all the practical difficulties of life. That's a heart-cheering church. That's Jesus' legacy that he's given us right here and now on earth. Embrace the vision. Receive the blessing. Realize his legacy. Now, if that's what you want, I hope that I have sufficiently stirred you up to say, yeah, I want that. I want to be part of that. What do you say? You want that? Want to be part of that? All right, what do we do then? So he says, okay, if, 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 if this is a possibility, and if you want this to be a reality, and if you want to experience more and more of this, this is what you do. Make me happy. All right. You, I already explained that. That's not, an, that's not an abusive manipulation. That's a loving man with a lot of relationship with them. I mean, it's like what a parent might say to a child. Make me happy. Because you've got 
your life invested, your soul invested in that child. You, you loved them. You, you, you trained them. You supported them. You did all this stuff with them. And you can say to them, look, my, my, my affections are bound up with you. Whatever you do, you're going to either make me happy, you're going to make me sad, I'm going to love you. And would you please think about my feelings and making me happy by doing this and doing this and doing that and doing the other thing? Because I have a, my whole life is invested in you. It's that kind of a relationship. That's not abusive parenting. That's open-hearted. I love you. I'm going to love you no matter what. My heart is bound up with you. I've poured my life and my soul into you. And my heart's not going away from you, never, ever, any time. I'm always going to love you. You can't change that. And, well, Dad, I don't really want you in my life anymore. Well, that's not really an option. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm never going to stop loving you. That's not an option. It's not an option for me to stop loving you and care about you and having my soul bound up with you. That is not optional. That's, that's, that's kind of the spirit of it. We can identify with that a little bit, right? Those of us that are parents that have loved children for 15, 20, 25, 40 years and have our souls and our hearts bound up with those kids. Right? We could tell them, hey, Fill my joy tank. Would you mind just filling my joy tank just one time maybe? Right? You could say that to your kid. It's not abusive. It's the truth. Right? So that's the spirit of it. But now what does he tell them to do And if they're going to fill his joy tank? What does he tell them to do if they're going to be a heart-cheering church? What are the issues? What are the graces that they need to cultivate? So this is what he says to them. Cultivate unity, cultivate humility, and cultivate sensitivity. Because when you do that, you will enhance the legacy that Christ has given you. And you will know more and more of the blessedness and experience of that legacy of Christ. Unity enhances those things. It enhances comfort and consolation and fellowship and compassion. So also does humility. So also does sensitivity. If you want to know more of the experience of this blessed legacy that Christ has left us, then cultivate unity and cultivate humility and cultivate sensitivity. So let's look how he puts it. He says, first of all, Make full my joy, fill my joy tank, that you would think the same thing, having the same love, literally soul-mated, soul-joined, soul-joined, soulmates. Thinking the one thing. Oh, you come into a church. And the church is filled with disunity and squabbling and quarreling. What does that make you feel? Oh, I can't wait to go there next week. Why do you laugh? Doesn't make you feel glad, does it? It makes you feel grief. That's not a heart-cheering church. That's a heart-grieving church. 
A church full of that kind of squabbling and stuff. Nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to belong to a church like that. People don't look forward to going to church on Sunday when that kind of stuff is going on. They dread it. They struggle with fear. Some people even panic. And they don't go home blessed and refreshed. But they leave, go home, and they're depressed. It's depressing. It's not heart-cheering. That kind of disunity and rancor and fighting and squabbling and controversy and all that stuff, it doesn't make people go, oh, I can't wait to go to church and get into another fight. Can't wait to go to church and have all hear all the wrangling and squabbling going on. Oh, I just can't wait. It's not what it produces. But when you cultivate and develop the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace, you keep short accounts, and people aren't squabbling with each other and hating each other and attacking each other and condemning each other and all this stuff going on in the church. It's a heart-cheering church that maintains the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that people come in and they're, they're not fighting with each other. They're not thinking about everything that's wrong about everybody and everything else in the church. And they're constantly raking over the coals of it. That doesn't make people glad. You get the connection between unity and the legacy of Christ of a heart-cheering church and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Some of this stuff grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And the second thing he says is humility. Nothing through, nothing with selfishness or with conceit, but with humble-mindedness considering another more valuable than yourselves. Arrogance, self-importance, carnal ambition, looking down on people, disregarding what they think and how they feel, disrespecting them. If you behave like that, with that kind of carnal, unmortified pride, I guarantee the church is not going to be glad to see you. And you're not going to be filling people's joy tanks with your superior, better than everybody else, attitude. That won't do it. You understand that? Do I have to explain that further or do you get it? You get it, don't you? And then look at the next thing. Sensitivity. Now this is... uh, I guess this is where the apostle leaves off preaching and takes to meddling. He says, each paying attention, each paying attention not to their own things, but everyone to the things of others also. And this is an idiomatic expression. It's what's called the absolute for the relative. And in the translation that uh, Adam read, it translated this this idiom correctly. It said something like, not paying attention only to your own things, but also, it doesn't, not telling people you're not allowed to think about yourself, you're not allowed to plan your life, you're not allowed to uh, do anything with regard to thinking about how you look this morning, how you dress this morning. You're not allowed to think about yourself at all. If you even give one thought to yourself, you're wicked and selfish and evil. That is not the point. It's not an absolute statement. 
It's a relative statement. The point is, don't think only about yourself. Don't be so self-absorbed that all you ever think about is you. Do you think about you? Yes. Do I think about me? Mm -hmm. Do you see the world from your perspective? Yeah. Do I see it from my perspective? Yes. The point is, if we're going to have a heart-cheering church, we need to learn and develop the grace of sensitivity in which we see the world from the perspective that other people see it. Do we put ourselves in their shoes? We actually stop to take the time to think about somebody else other than ourselves. To think about, okay, everybody's here today. How, how do they feel? What are they going through? How do they see the world? What are their needs? Now, how am I going to know that if I never talk to them? How am I going to know that if I never take any interest in them? How am I going to know that if I never pay any attention to them? If I never listen to anything they have to say, I never ask them any questions, I never get to know them, I couldn't care less about them, about what they're going through, about how they see the world, about what they experience. If all I'm thinking about when I come to church is me, thinking about, well, what am I going to get out of it? How am I going to do? What does this have to do with me? Blah, 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 me, 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 me. If all we ever think about is me and see it from the perspective of us, we will not be a heart-cheering church. And the more we begin to see the world through the eyes of the other people that are here, by listening to them and really caring about them and paying attention to them and getting to know them, and taking a genuine interest in them, the more we will become a heart-cheering church. Does that make sense? That's it. That's what he's saying. So you want to be a church that's more, more marked by the blessed legacy of Christ, comfort, consolation, spiritual fellowship, compassions, and mercies? Develop these graces. Humility, sensitivity, and unity. Because a church full of wrangling and fighting is not going to make people glad. A church full of arrogant people that think they're better than everybody else is not going to make people glad. And a church full of insensitive, selfish, self-absorbed people that only think about themselves is not going to make people glad. And the more we develop sensitivity and humility and unity, the more we will be and become and realize these wonderful ifs, the more we will be a heart-cheering church that makes people glad to come here and glad to be among this church and glad to be part of it and looking forward to being here every time the doors are opened because of the consolation and comfort and fellowship and love and compassion and mercy that thrives and abounds here through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That makes sense? It does, doesn't it? So, fill my joy tank. Fill my joy tank. Fill my joy tank. Be a heart-cheering church.
Cultivate unity, humility, and sensitivity. And it brings me to the third and final point this morning. Now, how do you do that? It's the whole point of writing the text. Everything he wrote in verses 6 and following about Christ and about the story of Christ was designed so that we would look at Christ and we ourselves would imitate his life that we would imitate his humility and we would imitate his sensitivity and his compassion and his mercy. Have this mind in you which also was in Christ. Then it talks about his poverty. Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself by taking a servant's form. And when he was found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Consider his example. Consider his life. Look at the life of Jesus. You want to be more humble? Look at Jesus' life. You want to be more sensitive? Look at Jesus' life. You want to have greater unity in the church? Look at the life and attitude and heart of Jesus Christ. Look what he did. His life is the foundation of this legacy. And in one sense, his life is itself the legacy because he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. But it's because of his life, his perfect obedience, and his resurrection and glory. It's when God glorified him and seated him in his right hand, he poured out the Holy Spirit on his people. His life, his perfect life, and his exaltation at God's right hand, that's the foundation of this blessed legacy. It's the foundation of the consolation and comfort and love and mercy and fellowship that comes through having the Holy Spirit. His life is the foundation of all that legacy that he's given to us to enjoy in this life. So imitate his life. And when you imitate his life, you cultivate the grace. And when you cultivate the grace, you enhance the legacy that is life left us. Fill my joy tank, he says. Fill my joy tank. I love you. My heart is bound up with you like a parent's heart is bound up with its, with its children. I love you. I'll always love you. Make me glad. Make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by uh, enjoying this wonderful legacy of spiritual blessing that Christ has left us on earth by enhancing it and cultivating these graces. And do that by imitating Jesus' life. Now, what do I say to Christians? Do you take that to heart? And praise God, bless God, thank God for it. Cultivate the grace. Embrace the blessing, enjoy the blessing, cultivate the grace, imitate the Lord. That's basically what I said to you. Enjoy the blessing. If you want to do that, cultivate the grace. And in order to do that, imitate the Lord. That's what Paul said, right? May God fill us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. But what if you're not a Christian? Wouldn't you, I mean, just, just stop and think for a minute. Wouldn't you want to be part of a wonderful thing like this? Wouldn't you want to be able to be part of a heart-cheering church and to really experience the blessing and comfort and consolation and love 
and mercy and kindness of the Holy Spirit. You're welcome. Well, you say, well, what do I have to do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins and repentance. Call on the name of the Lord. And you too will experience the blessings of his legacy to his people. And may God be pleased to make it so. Let's pray.